Hello, and welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are a faith-filled, family-focused church located in Lakeville, Minnesota. In a moment, you will hear a sermon from one of our pastors. We hope that you enjoy and grow closer to God through these messages. And now for a message from a special guest. Good morning, Celebration Church. Oh, come on, you could do better than that. Good morning, Celebration Church. How's everybody doing today? Praise the Lord. I may be glad to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Praise God. Well, we're excited to be here. Um, If you don't know, uh, Pastor Derek last week announced that we're going to be, myself and my wife, part of the preaching team here at Celebration. And so here I am, right? I'm very grateful for God opening this door of opportunity for us to serve, and we're excited about serving this congregation in this capacity. Today I want to share a message with you that the Lord has been dealing with me about. So I'm not just preaching a sermon. When my son was little, he's 24 now, when he was little, he was playing a game with me. He said, Dad, you could preach just about anything, can't you? I said, yeah, I could. <clears throat> but today I want to really share a message with you that I really feel captures God's heart in the moment that we live in. And I want to begin by telling you a story. You ever been in a place where you're just minding your own business and then things happen around you that you have no control of and it just annoys you? You ever had that happen? My wife and I, we were sitting down with our laptops doing work. During the day we worked for North Central University. Any, any one part of the NCU family here, amen, praise the Lord. Can we thank God for North Central University, amen. We're just minding our own business, right? Grading papers and preparing for lectures and doing what professors do. And we were in a shared space in the building that we live in. And we noticed a cohort of young adults start walking in. Now, they had every right to be in the space because it's a shared space unless you reserve it for a private event. We all share the space, and there's common courtesies that we practice one toward another. But they came in, setting up to use the grill, setting up to uh, entertain themselves, big Bluetooth speaker. So I turned to my wife and said, oh, we're getting ready to have a party. Then the cases of beer, the alcohol, the liquor, all of that came. And immediately, my first reaction was I got grieved in my spirit. And to be quite honest with you, I got annoyed. Because I want to be in this space. I got work to do. I don't want the distraction of the music and the loudness and what would develop into even lewdness as the night progressed. 
And my first reaction, my first reaction was to be angry, give in to my emotions, pack up and leave. But for some reason we didn't. We noticed a couple, someone standing outside the restroom there, and we noticed that couples were going in and out of that room, and I told my wife, I said, they're going in there hooking up. And then she got annoyed. Why would they do that? Which, by the way, my wife always tells me, I never sound like anything like you imitate me as sounding, right? <laughs> And then a young man walked over. He said, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah. And and to be honest, I was kind of aggressive in my response. Yeah. He said, what are you doing? My first reaction was to say, I'm minding my business and leaving yours alone. That's what I'm doing. (laughs) I wish you would do the same. And we began to tell him that We had been pastors for a number of years in Ohio, and God sent us here, and we take up this new assignment, teaching at North Central. We're teaching young Christians that are going out into the marketplace, into the ministry. And he stood there. He said, you guys are Christians? We said, yeah. He said, my mom and dad are pastors. And I guess if I had to be honest with you, I'd have to tell you I'm far from the Lord right now. And so we reached out and we grabbed this young man by his hand. His name was Dante. We reached out. We laid hands on Dante. We began to pray for him. We watched the tears fall from his cheek. And in that moment, God really began to deal with my heart, deal with our hearts, because it reminded us of what this thing is all about. Isn't it interesting how we can be recipients of compassion, but often when it's time to give compassion, we, we want to declare God's judgment. But then when we were recipients, we were so grateful that no one judged us, that rather they were compassionate toward us. So there's this thing where we know how to receive, but we don't know how to give. And the Lord just began to deal with me. He took me to Luke 18, which I'm not going to preach today. I'm preaching from Luke chapter 8. But in Luke 18, he tells a story. The Lord tells a story of two men that went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, one was a tax collector. And he began to contrast these two fellows. The one lifted up his eyes toward heaven with pride and said, I'm not like other men. I fast twice a week. I pay my tithes. I keep the law. I'm not like this man. And the publican, fearing God, just hid his face and just begged God for mercy. And Jesus says, the publican was the one that left God's house justified that day. That parable bothers me because in our church, a man that fasts twice a week, pays his tithes, honor the law, and doesn't live like other people, we would exalt that man. He might be elected to the board. But Jesus said because his heart wasn't in the right place. 
It was the other fellow that left justified. So this morning, I want to talk to us, and notice I use the inclusive word us, because none of us can ever forget where we've come from and how God intends to use us in this moment. And maybe you're like we were, offended at the behavior, at the actions we see from people, but we can't not be present and available because we are offended by behavior. We've got to be accessible to people. So my prayer for us today is that kind of following up with what Pastor Derek preached last week about a prayer for boldness. Can we pray this morning that that boldness will then transition us into a place of openness where people can approach us because of what they sense that's working in us. The lost, they are not our enemy. They are our purpose. Amen? Let's go to Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 40. Compassion. Can you say that? Compassion. There's a Hebrew word for compassion that is translated with words like loving kindness. Love that displays itself being kind and kindness that shows itself as love. Sometimes it's used as the word mercy. Jeremiah tells us his mercies are new what? Every morning. And so the God that we serve, he's a God that is filled with compassion, that we can never exhaust the compassion of God. Amen? That we can never push God to a place where he runs out of compassion. It's like, a, it's like trying to take a teaspoon and say you're going to empty the ocean. It's just impossible because there's, no matter how much you remove, there's always more there. And so it's easy for us as believers, isn't it? It's almost too easy for us to construct our lives in a way where we develop our rhythm and our pace, where we have our people, and we, we find ourselves in places where we never create access points into our life for the lost to enter. Especially for those of us that work for Christian organizations or inside Christian institutions or maybe you're in full-time ministry. You find yourself surrounded by believers all the time. But what does it look like to become accessible to those that don't know? What does it look like for Dante to walk into your space? Let's find the day that this happened in the life and ministry of Jesus. Luke chapter 8. And Luke begins chapter 8 with verse 40. He tells us that so it was Jesus returned and the multitudes welcomed him. For they were expecting him. Like, can we just pause and say... I give God praise that Jesus is still beautiful today. 
that he's still lovely, that there's still something about the human heart that gets captured and raptured when we really get to touch who Jesus is, when we get to experience him in all of his fullness, in all of his goodness, in all of his grace. The multitude, it says by Luke, welcomes him. Can we all be reminded that the multitude will still welcome Jesus if they see him? They were waiting for him. He's still attractive. And the Lord has not given up on his mission to touch people's lives, to change their hearts, to transform their minds in this generation that we live. And we can find ourselves like my wife, like myself, we can be offended by behavior. But we can't let our offense push us to a place where we start to close access to ourselves and our lives. Amen. So verse 41 begins a narrative of two people. One is the daughter of a prominent man who's named Jairus. We don't have to wonder or question. He's clearly named there. The other is a nameless woman that's just happened to be found in a crowd. The daughter of Jairus is laying on her bed, infirm, to the point of dying. And this nameless, faceless woman has been suffering in solitude for years. The daughter is there depending upon her father. She is reliant on the fact I can hear her father say to her, listen, we have a prophet in our midst and his name is Jesus. And I'm going to go to him and I don't know what it's going to take me, but I'm going to find a way to get to him and I'm going to bring him back here to you and he's going to touch you and you're going to be healed. She Though death is working in her body, she has the hope to know that her father has gone forth to represent her to the prophet of God. And this other woman has nobody. And she has to muster up her own strength, energy, will, determination to say, I've got to get to Jesus for myself. So Luke tells us how Jairus comes to Jesus, falls at Jesus' feet. He throws off protocol, influence, reputation, and he starts to beg at the feet of Jesus. Please, master, come to my house. My only daughter who's just a young child, by the way, as long as his daughter has been alive 12 years, this nameless, faceless woman has been sick 12 years. Wow. 
He falls at Jesus' feet. Come. Mark, in telling the story, Mark says, come and just lay. If you would just come and lay your, if you would just touch my daughter, she will be well. Listen, it's one thing. Looking around this room, just about all of us have probably at one point of our lives been sick. It's a whole nother situation when your child is sick. My wife and I experienced that in 2020. Our son went into renal failure. Just a thing that happened. Was hospitalized for 12 days. I remember going into the chapel telling the Lord, if there was a price to pay, I'd pay it. If there's somebody to talk to, I would talk to him. If there was a place to go, I would go. There's nothing I can do but call out to you. And praise God, the Lord, through intercession and prayer and the work of doctors, our son was out of the hospital room 12 days later. Praise the Lord. Jairus had a daughter that was sick. Begging the Lord, come. Verse 42 says she's dying. And Jesus agrees. Because Luke tells us that Jesus was on his way. Now I want you to get the picture. Jairus is there, leader of the synagogue, influential man, begs the Lord, come to my house, heal my daughter. And there's a crowd of people. Can you say crowd with me? There's a crowd of people. And Luke tells us the multitude thronged him. Verse 42. Do you see that? The multitude is so densely packed around him. You know, the image I have is that you ever walked into an elevator where you keep getting people on and you're like, okay, we're getting ready to exceed the weight standard here. Like, it's too many people on. We don't do much of this now post-COVID, but, but have you ever been in a crowd where there's just a lot of people around? And so Jesus has all of these people surrounding him. He is on his way to heal this man's daughter, this ruler of the synagogue, this influential man, this father who is motivated to see his daughter's life redeemed. And he has been successful in convincing Jesus to go and come to his house. Now, verse 42, as he went, the multitude thronged him. So, on a normal day, Jesus just would have walked. I'm going somewhere, man on a mission. I've got something that I need to accomplish. I've got a place that I'm heading. He's deliberate and intentional. His pace is to get there to help Jairus and change the situation for him. But notice verse 42. The crowds what? It, it's some, some Bible say that they're crushing in on him. Now, do you think Jesus is walking at that pace? No. How is he moving? Slow, deliberate, 
Why? Because people are just thronging him, crushing him. Now notice verse 43. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any. This nameless, faceless woman in a culture and a society in which there was very little value placed upon her. Obviously, she's a woman of means because Luke says she spent all. So that means she had something to spend. She tried her best to be diligent, to find release and remedy from her disease. Now, under the law, her particular infirmity, watch this, rendered her ceremonially unclean. Can you say that with me, unclean? So, under the law of Moses, there were certain things, if you had touched something dead, if you had an issue of blood, if you had bleeding, if you had some conditions rendered you ceremonially unclean. And Moses taught the people that if you were unclean, you had to separate yourself from community so that your uncleanness didn't get transferred from one to another. This was to prevent communicable diseases. We saw this in COVID, didn't we? Shut down. Everything stops. Let's try to prevent this thing spreading one to another. So the understanding in the Old Testament was this, that if an unclean thing touches a clean thing, the unclean thing makes the clean thing unclean. Did you get that? Let's do it again. If an unclean thing touches a clean thing, the unclean thing makes the clean thing unclean. Did you get it? If I am unclean and I just brush up against you, if my garment passes by you, you now are rendered what? Unclean. Because the thought is, what is causing me to be unclean is now upon you, rendering you what? Unclean. So Jesus, moving with this crowd, Going to Jairus, he's not able to walk. He is slowed in his pace. Every step is deliberate. The people crushing in on him. The woman, because of her particular disease, would have been rendered physically weak, weary, drained, depleted of strength, faint and to the point of being fatigued. Now watch this. On a normal day, she would not have been able to catch Jesus because the pace of his stride, she could have never caught up to him. But because today the crowd is pressing in on him, every one of his steps is very laborious, labored, and intentional, this slows him down to the point that this woman can now reach out and what? Touch him. You know what that said to me? Celebration Church, you know what that said to me? 
That said to me what that song we sing all the time. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. He's a way maker. Listen, I know there are things you walked in the church this morning. This is not my message, but I'm just going to give you a little glimpse of hope, give you a little glimmer of something to become joyful about. I know there were things you walked in with this morning that are heavy on your heart that you're wondering, how am I going to see my way forward? Listen, I'm so glad to know we've got a God that's working even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it. He never stops. He never stops working. The providence of God is at work that the Lord is slowed down enough so that she can catch up to him. Okay, the drama continues. Verse 44 says that she came from behind and touched the border of his garment and immediately her hemorrhaging stopped. Now remember, according to the law, if an unclean thing touches a clean thing, the clean thing is made unclean. So that tells me she's down on the ground, pressing her way through this crowd that has thronged itself around Jesus, and every person her garment sweeps past is unclean. Every person she brushes up against is unclean. People that just happen to touch her heel is unclean. Whoever she needs is unclean. If they just pass by her, if their garment comes into contact with her, they are unclean. Because if an unclean thing touches a clean thing, the unclean thing becomes, the clean thing becomes unclean. She knew when she touched Jesus that her hemorrhage stopped. So verse 45, Jesus says, who touched me? The disciples, and you know our friend Peter. He's the one that's got to speak up. He's a spokesman, right? He's the chairman. He got to speak up, represent everybody. You know the Bible. Let's, let's imagine we're there. I heard a country preacher once say, let's use our sanctified imagination, right? It must seem idiotic, the question Jesus is asking. Like, you got a crowd of people all around you. How are you going to turn to us and ask us such a stupid question like, who touched you? Jesus says, Somebody touched me because I felt power leave me, flow into them, and whatever their situation was, it has been changed because of the power of God. And immediately, everybody discovers what has happened. They see this woman. They know her. She's the woman with the issue. She has the discharge. She is ceremonially unclean. So you can imagine how this is playing out. The Lord is walking all these people around him. She gets, she 
Calls on the ground, wrestles through. Everybody she's touched now is rendered unclean. And Jesus says, who touched me? And you could just hear, ooh. And what happens? The crowd opens up like the Red Sea. And there's this woman alone. She's there. And Luke says, verse 47, when the woman saw that she had been discovered, it's as though she's like a criminal, like she got caught in the act. You know what you're doing is wrong right here, and you've been found out. And now everybody's waiting for the ax to fall, for judgment to come, because you did wrong. You know you shouldn't have been out the house. You should have stayed home because you are what? Unclean. In the presence, notice, verse 47, in the presence of all the people, she declared the reason she touched him and how she was instantly cured. She knows what she did was wrong. And her fear, her concern, her worry is that in her attempt to get healed, she has rendered everyone in the, in the space ceremonially unclean as she intentionally touches who? Jesus. Which means, according to the law, Jesus now was what? But wait a minute. How is Jesus going to be unclean, but power left out of him, went into her and healed her and uncleaned her uncleanness? Well, Jesus introduces us to a new principle. See, the law said if the unclean thing touched the clean thing, the unclean thing made the clean thing unclean. But watch this. Jesus comes along and he shows us a new law. The law of love, the law of compassion, which says that if the unclean thing touches the clean thing, the unclean thing is made clean. Did you get it? That if the unclean thing touches the clean thing, the clean thing makes the unclean thing clean. So she's operating, the rest of the crowd is operating under Old Testament economy. They're ready for judgment. Let's stone her, let's excommunicate her, let's whatever the law dictates, that's what we're going to do. But Jesus says that's not how it works in the kingdom. The way it works in the kingdom is that people have to be touchable. And we can't live in fear that what's on them is going to get on us. We've got to live being full of compassion, knowing that no matter what's on you, when you come in contact with me, I'm not concerned about what's on you defiling me. I'm more concerned about what's on me setting you free. I'm committed to the fact that what I have experienced from the hand of God will get on you and change your life. You're not going to change me. Oh, but I'm so glad I can change you. Listen, 
I am so glad the people that shared the love of Jesus with me was not concerned about what's on me getting on them, but they knew that what's on them is more powerful than anything that could be on me. And they loved me and touched me and ministered to me and was gracious to me and loved me into the kingdom of God. Now, if we're going to clap, let's clap. Hallelujah. What about you? Do you remember when you were unclean? And somebody had to look past your uncleanness and believe God that he would work in your life? Do you remember? That's the same assignment that is on us today that we have to go out into the world and believe that the spirit of Christ in us is stronger than any spirit out here in the world. That when we walk out, we are more than conquerors through him that has loved us. That we are the light in the dark. We are the city on the hill. We have a treasure in these earthen vessels that no matter what uncleanness I may come in contact with, oh, you don't have to worry about getting me dirty. We're going to be more concerned about getting you clean. Now watch the most beautiful utterance in this whole story. She's there on the ground because, Pastor, I can guarantee you nobody's going to go over and help her up. Why? She's unclean. So she's there on the ground, dehumanized, defeated, discouraged, isolated, alone, waiting for the ax to fall because she's rendered everybody in this crowd unclean and had the audacity to touch Jesus. And everybody is waiting to see what will Jesus' response to this act of defilement. What is his response going to be? And notice what he says. Verse 48. He says, daughter. Did you hear that? Now, we started out the story about the only daughter in this text was the little girl that was the same age as long as this woman had been sick. That the daughter in the text who had a father who was advocating for her. The daughter in the text heard her father say, I'm going to see the prophet of God, the man of God, Jesus, I'm going to convince him. I don't know what it's going to take. I don't know how much money it's going to cost me. I don't know what influence I got to leverage. But I'm telling you, sweetheart, I'm going to bring him back here and he's going to lay his hand on you and you are going to get up out of this bed. You will not die, but you're going to live because I, as your father, am going to advocate for you. And I don't believe it's lost on Jesus. The fact that Jairus came and leveraged all of his influence to convince Jesus to come and work for her. And Jesus turns to this lady who's nameless and faceless. We don't know who she is. But he says to her, daughter, listen, you are not an orphan. 
You are not forgotten. You are not forsaken. You belong to me. Just like this man advocated for his child, I'm telling you, I'm going to advocate for you from this moment forward. You are now part of the kingdom of God. You are under my covering. You now benefit from my influence. I'm looking out for your best interest. You are connected to me. Just like he was able to influence me to come to his house, I'm going to influence things to work and move and manifest themselves in your behalf, on your behalf and for your good. Listen, we ought to get excited about that, that God is ever expanding his family, that there are sons and daughters that he wants to speak over. They may be in the dark today, but it only takes a moment for light to come and to dispel all of the darkness. In Jesus' name. Let's stand together. He says to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Saints, the lost are not my enemy. They are our purpose. And we may get annoyed with behavior, may grieve our spirits and might turn us off and might make us feel like I don't want to be around this behavior. But we got to remember just like we received mercy, we got to minister mercy. We can't cry judgment. Because truth be told, I might have been Dante or even worse when I was his age. But thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his mercy. Can you do two things for me? First of all, can you give God praise for how he's worked in your life? And second, can you lift your hands straight toward heaven and just say, Lord, I make myself available. It's a dangerous prayer. Because I'm telling the Lord you could put me in places that I may not be comfortable. You can make my life accessible. To those that are still in darkness. But I believe the light that's in my life can dispel the darkness that's in them. And I believe the death that's at work in them can be overcome by the life that's working in me. Come on, begin to talk to him. I believe that the glory of the kingdom of God that's in my life can overcome the sin and the sadness of the kingdom of darkness that's on their life. And just like we've been recipients of his mercy, so we need to be distributors of his mercy. Father, I thank you. I thank you first for how you've worked in our lives. Some of us found you when we were just children. Some found you when we were teenagers, confused. Some of us grew up in church and 
committing to Jesus was just a simple yes and some you had to battle the forces of hell to get to us but Lord we are grateful that we can stand here today and say we're saved we're grateful that we can stand here today and declare that we are your son we are your daughter but father do not let us just be satisfied with what you've done in us but help us to be the light in the darkness help us to be the city that is on a hill help us to see the treasure that is in this earthen vessel and father use me to touch somebody's life I pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Would you put your hands together and bless the Lord, Pastor, as you come. We hope that you learned something from this message and are able to apply it to your life. If you gave your life to Jesus for the first time or the 10th time, reach out to us on Facebook email us at info at celebrationchurch.net. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next week.